Right, just like to say a big welcome to everyone, visitors and everyone here, and happy Easter to everybody as well. Happy Easter. And I didn't get any eggs under my seat, but my friend did, so I'm so happy for my friend too. Um, I've always loved Easter from being a little girl. In our house, we would always get Easter eggs off all of our aunties. And it was a time we would always get like new clothes. I can remember one year getting a lovely new dress and new socks and sandals. We didn't wear them together like a lot of Christian men do. I was, I was just checking to see if Dennis had his socks and sandals on today, but we're okay. And I just have really warm memories about Easter and celebrating Easter. Um, I wasn't brought up in a Christian household, so my parents weren't Christians, so I didn't associate Easter uh, with the amazing historical story of Jesus, which is a story of hope and of grace. So this morning, I'd just like to spend a few moments looking at the Easter story, picking up just after Jesus had risen from the dead, after being crucified on the Friday, and how this story changes my story, changes your story, and how, how Easter really does change everything. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to Mark 16, verse 1 to 4. This scripture has been read, um, read out a couple of times this morning, but from the different Gospels. So I'm going to read it from Mark. When the Sabbath, Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought some spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So... The story of the resurrection is told in all four of the Gospels, all told in different ways, all very personal accounts, yet stating the same truth, that Jesus is risen. The reason I chose to read Mark's account is that God really spoke to me in the question the ladies asked each other when approaching the tomb. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And, you know, this is a really good question as it states that the stone is very heavy, too large for them to move on their own. It was probably even larger than the size and weight of Stuart Graham and Derek Peacock put together. <laughs> it was very heavy, and if you, thought, if you throw a Craig in as well, it's massive, <laughs> very heavy to move. So I thought it was a good question. Sorry, guys. The angel inside the tomb who was spoken to the ladies, which was the man in white, did not roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out, but so others could get in to see for themselves that Jesus had indeed risen. So God asks us the question today, 
who will roll the stone away. And I, I just really feel that this is from God today for us all. I imagined myself inside a tomb in a dark, damp, smelly, frightening place, and then hearing the sound of the stone being rolled away and the light starting to point to that dark place. The joy of seeing the marvellous light and smelling the fresh air, then seeing the one who had rescued me, Jesus. He wasn't alone, there were others with him, helping him. It was the people who had been praying for me and telling me about Jesus, even when I didn't want to hear anything about him, I didn't want to listen. And actually, you know, that was me. Before I became a Christian, I was dead in my sin. I led a life go my own way, really, dishonouring God, disregarding God, disobeying God. I was lost in a, a very dark place. Then Jesus came and rescued me. And as we've heard today already, he's still rescuing people today. Right here, right now, he's rescuing people all over the world from different nations, as we've heard from Melham. Different nations, God is still rescuing people today. He's bringing people out of darkness and bringing people into new life, new purpose and new hope. And it is a gift that's freely offered to you personally today. And hopefully, if that's you, if you haven't already received that gift, today you will receive that for the first time as we'll give opportunity later on. But please think about that. Think seriously about receiving this gift of new life this morning. Jesus says to all of us today, John 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light, so no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus also says in John 5, verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. God wants us as Christians here today, to help him to roll away the stone. He wants us to help roll away the stone in our families' lives, friends' lives, neighbours' lives, and all those people who we come across in our everyday, you know, going about work, just walking to the shops. He wants us to be the people who helps him to roll the stone away. Do you know what? He doesn't need our help because he's God, he's Jesus. But he chooses to use us. He chooses for us to be a part of that. And it's such a privilege when you are a part in helping somebody, you know, come to know Jesus for themselves. We were dead in our sins, but now we are alive. And we're alive for a purpose. We're alive to bring Jesus glory because Jesus deserves to be glorified and he deserves to be talked about, doesn't he? He deserves to be talked about. Jesus wants us to live passionate, resurrected, spiritually awakened lives. He wants us to grow and mature and to live lives of freedom. And what does that life look like as disciples of Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He says in John 15, verse 16 to 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father 
will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, to love each other. And I just want to, um, you know, I'll read this bit first, then I'm going to share a story. Um, the Apostle Paul confirms this in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, which is a life where God lives in us, where God dwells in us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So fruit is evidence of living a life for Jesus. And God wants us to consistently grow and display fruit in our lives so that the world can see that Jesus is in fact alive. Um, forgive me if you've heard this story, I have told it before, but I think it was about last year sometime, um, there was a problem within my house. I was filling up my lovely fruit bowl with fruit every day, and the fruit was actually going missing, and I couldn't understand where's the fruit going. It wasn't Jabber or Chris, they always read the fruit bowl, but it was times when they weren't there. But I would just fill the fruit bowl and then we'd look and things go missing. Apples were gone, oranges, bananas, grapes were just getting go missing from this fruit bowl. And I thought, where are they gone? And then we found the culprit. I went into the kitchen and there was my dog, Louie, Louie the Beagle, <laughs> getting his paw, reaching over, pulling the fruit bowl to the front and stealing the fruit. We found him with a bunch of grapes in his mouth. And he ate the lot and didn't die of kidney failure. So he's, he's a good dog. He's, God was looking after him. But he was actually stealing the fruit. He doesn't just steal fruit either. Um, when people come for dinner, when Muhammad came for dinner, he nicked Muhammad's phone, took that into his little corner. Um, I can remember having uh, Jill and Jez Fletcher, some of you might know, and she had a lovely designer bag, a Radley, you know, the ones with the little dog on. He took a liking to that. He pinched that and took that into the corner. So, well, don't worry, we've got him well trained. He only gets purses and wallets now. So you're all right when you go. That was a good one, that, wasn't it? Um, so my point of this story is that God really spoke to me about fruit and allowing your fruit to be stolen from you. you no, know, allowing that love, that peace, that joy, that patience. And what I actually had to do was move the position of the fruit ball. I had to move it from there up to a high place to here on top of the microwave where the dog couldn't reach it. And I just feel God is saying to us this morning, enough that's you, if you're here and you're thinking, well, I just don't feel that joy, that peace. You know, my fruit, I feel like it is gone. I just feel God wants to challenge us today and says, you know, maybe we need to change position. Maybe it's a, posi a position from, forgive, uh, from unforgiveness to forgiving one another. Maybe it's actually places where we're going, what we're actually watching on TV, what we're reading, you know, how we're spending our time. I just want you to really think about that and think, right, you know, is that me this morning? Is that me? And just would love to pray for people at the end with regards to that, um, for that, that, that fruit to be displayed in our lives. And it was fruit that I've seen in other people's lives. I know Elham shared that and Anna and others, how they've seen something in other Christians around them that really made them ask the question about, is Jesus alive? So fruit in our lives is just so important for the world to see Jesus living in us. So please, you know, take this seriously this morning and don't let anyone steal your fruit. 
not even Louis the Beagle. Peter describes people transformed by a relationship with Jesus by calling them in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. The disciples knew that Jesus was crucified. They were there when Jesus died on the cross for their sins, for our sins. They seen it with their own eyes. But even there, even, even there struggled to believe that he had, in fact, rose again. They were told by Mary and other reliable witnesses that Jesus was alive, but they still couldn't believe it until Jesus appeared to them personally. The disciples watched and worked with Jesus during his three-year ministry. They ate together, they laughed together, cried together, prayed together. They did everything with Jesus. They watched as he performed miracles and amazing healings. They were with him when he brought people who had died back to life. They knew that he was and is the Messiah, the saviour of the world, God himself. Yet even they struggled to believe that he is risen. Now, a few years back, quite a few years back, we did an Alpha course with a lovely couple that come to this church. Um, you might know the guy. He's an old, older guy. Well, he's very old. Uh, it's Bill Yeah, um, <laughs> Older than probably everybody that comes to this church. And Val and Bill did an Alpha course. Their daughter, Vicky, had become a Christian on Alpha. And then they did the Alpha course. And oh, there were pains on the table, to be honest. They were just a nightmare. Just, you know, asking loads of awkward questions and everything. But on the Alpha course, Val became a Christian. And Bill didn't. But Bill would come to church every Sunday with Val. And I think it was about two years he came along with, but he still hadn't become a Christian. And most weeks, not every week, I'm a bit of a stalker. I would ask him, have you become a Christian yet, Bill? And he'd say, no, I don't believe in the resurrection. And this went on, as I say, for years. I just don't believe in the resurrection. And I said, well, you've just got to take that step of faith and believe. I don't believe it. And then after these years of him coming to church and spending time, you know, in the presence of God, and probably, you know, seeing Jesus in the way we were and the way we lived our lives. And I think, actually, he had a dream of Jesus coming to him in a dream. It was like that. He finally believed that Jesus was, in fact, risen. And he became a Christian on that morning. That was lovely. That was a good day. Woo! I won't tell you how old he was when he became a Christian. But he was old. But... <laughs> just if you're here today and maybe you don't actually believe everything yet and maybe you are struggling it's a big thing to believe isn't it that someone has actually died and come back to life um, just God is so patient with us and so lovely with us and you know he will just keep pursuing you and coming after you until you do that so you might as well just do it now because he never, he never stops does he Bill? he never stops so I just thought that was a lovely story to tell about Bill. I think I've got another story about him, actually. Well, me and Stu actually baptised Bill, and are you okay for me to tell people you've got a glass eye? Is that all right? Oh, it's too late now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Bill's got a glass eye. Is it glass? 
Oh, plastic, sorry, NHS cutbacks. Plastic eye. And <laughs> thanks, Raj, for laughing at that. <laughs> anyway, me and Stu baptised him. And Bill thought it would be funny that when we brought him back up, he pretended that his eye had popped out in there. And he went, me eye. And I was like, But, oh, that was awful. Anyway. Oh, it was Jeremy Simpkins' idea that he did that. But that was funny. It wasn't funny at the time. It was very scary. But anyway. (laughs) Anyway, back to this. So at first, (laughs) the disciples, like us, and like Bill, like all of us really, may have thought the resurrection was just a story, a a fairy tale perhaps, impossible to believe. Only when they encounter Jesus personally are they able to accept that the resurrection is a fact. It happened. Then they commit themselves to the risen Lord and devote their lives to serving him. They begin to understand fully the reality of his presence with them. Um, John 20, 24 to 30, tells the story of doubting Thomas, as he is now known. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among and said, peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And, you know, some people may think that they would believe in Jesus if they could see a definite sign or miracle, but Jesus says we are blessed if we can believe without seeing. We have all the proof that we need in the words of the Bible and the testimony of believers. A physical appearance would not make Jesus any more real to us than he is right here, right now. Jesus is real and Jesus is risen. And I was just thinking about that, about the testimony of believers. And you know, we've had three testimonies here today from Joel and Anna and Elham, very completely different people. You know, Elham from a completely different nation to here. Yet all with that, you know, story, that common person who was Jesus. And I just thought, even looking around here today, and if you take a look around, Every one of us who is a Christian here is a different story to tell about Jesus. Every story unique, but similar, that Jesus has impacted our lives and has changed our lives. And our stories are so powerful. They're so powerful. Uh, sometimes when you ask people to give the testimony, they'll say, my story, oh, it's, it's not that good, really. It's a bit boring. Nobody's story is boring because everybody's story is different. So just today, you know, I feel God would say, don't underestimate your own story. It is so powerful. I think we need to start telling 
our stories to one another and to people, our friends and family, just keep telling them our stories. This is what's happened to me. This is how I've changed because of Jesus. So please don't underestimate your own story because it is so powerful. There are many great promises in the Bible. In Revelation 3.20, John has a vision in which Jesus speaks. Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, and they're with me. There are many ways of speaking about starting a new life of the Christian faith, becoming a Christian, giving our lives to Christ, inviting Jesus into our lives, opening the door to Jesus, or even as we heard today, rolling the stone away. And all of them describe the same reality that Jesus enters our lives by the Holy Spirit as pictured in this verse. The artist Holman Hunt, inspired by this verse, painted the light of the world. We've got that up. Oh, that's it. Raj took that picture in St. Paul's Cathedral. Well done, Raj. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have his glasses on when he took it. But still a beautiful picture. Jesus, the light of the world, stands at the door, which is overgrown with ivy and weeds. The door represents the door of someone's life. This person has never invited Jesus to come into his or her life. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. He is awaiting a response. He wants to come in and be part of that person's life. Apparently, someone said to Holman Hunt he made the mistake. They told him, you've forgotten to paint a handle on the door. But Holman Hunt replied, oh no, that is deliberate. There's only one handle and that is on the inside. Um, In other words, Jesus is calling us to make a response, something personal, a heart choice. We, you, me, have to open the door to let Jesus into our lives. And Jesus, he'll never force his way in. You know, he's just not like that. He would never do that. He gives us the freedom to choose. It's up to us whether or not we open the door to him. If we do, he promises, I will come in and eat with them and they're with me. And eating together is a sign of the friendship which Jesus offers to all of those who open the door of their lives to him. I'm going to say a prayer in a minute to give you the opportunity here today for you to open that door, for you to become a Christian today. I'm going to give that opportunity just before that, I just want to tell a story. Um, as I say, I wasn't born into a Christian house. But um, when my sister Julie was 11, she's not here today, she'd become a Christian. She used to take us to Sunday school. And then later on in life, she would take us to church. And I can remember, probably in my early 20s, it was when I became a Christian, just before I become a Christian, she would invite us to church. And every time this moment where the gospel was preached and there was a chance us to become Christians, I can remember me and my sister Pauline would sat there and then we'd listen and then the prayer would come and we'd say, say if you've responded, you know, lift your hand today, tell someone, we'd sit on our hands and then at the end we'd say we'd look at each other and we'd say they were talking to me, weren't they? And she'd say, no, they were talking to me and we really felt like that our sister Julie had told somebody everything about us and that it was a conspiracy that they, they'd just done this meeting for us because everything we were saying, it was talking to us and we could feel our hearts boom, 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 boom as we decided, no, we're not becoming a Christian today. 
it was so difficult. You know, sometimes I would feel offended by what was said. I would feel so uncomfortable. So as I do this, if you feel offended or uncomfortable, good. I'm pleased about that. Because that's God, that's the Holy Spirit. When I finally, yeah, I've become a Christian. Uh, It's just absolutely wonderful. You know, just to give up. Just surrender. If you're here today, surrender. If it's God speaking to you today and you feel everything people have said today, someone's talking about me, someone knows everything about me, just give your life today. Let's not hang about any longer. Okay. I'm going to say prayer. Um, It'd be good for us all to bow our heads as I say this prayer. And then if that's you and you decide today, I want to become a Christian, I want to come back to God today, Maybe you've maybe been a Christian all life, but you've never ever publicly said, I am a Christian, and put your hand up. This prayer's for you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord Jesus. I just acknowledge today that I know you are the Son of the living God. And Lord, I thank you so much that you died on the cross for my sins, for everything I've ever done wrong and I'm I'm going to do wrong in the future, Lord. Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and I thank you so much for that, Lord. Please forgive me. Forgive me today, Lord. I ask you, I invite you into my life today, into my heart, Lord. Come into my heart by your Holy Spirit, Lord. I surrender to you today. I give my life to you today. Thank you, Lord. Amen.